0: ba do ba dee oo doo doo ba do ba doo
1: We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show, our first in the merry month of October, Halloween month, and also uh, Canadian Thanksgiving month, too, of course, which is uh, next week. However, we are broadcasting right out here from uh, the UBC campus at CITR 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And my name is Gavin Walker, and we have, uh, as usual, a fair amount to do uh, on this evening's show. Unfortunately, a couple of tributes, three to be exact, of musicians who have uh, recently passed away. One of them... I guess the first one to go was 75-year-old Wilton Felder, who was, of course, the saxophonist, the tenor saxophonist with the famous band the Jazz Crusaders. And Felder, Styx Hooper, Joe Sample, and Wayne Henderson all came up together uh, in Texas, and they all began playing music when they were just little kids and eventually uh, moved on to uh, Los Angeles and uh, worked as an R&B band called the Nighthawks. And they did that for R&B-type gigs, dances, and all that kind of stuff. And then for jazz, uh, in jazz clubs, they became the Jazz Crusaders. And um, these four guys, of course, stuck together uh, through the rest of their natural lives. And the only uh, changing Personnel in uh, the Jazz Crusaders was always the bass player. And different bass players came in and out of the band uh, over the years. And of course, in the 70s, uh, they made some stylistic changes. They adapted to uh, uh, some of the uh, new elements in jazz, which sort of led to uh, fusion jazz and jazz rock and all that kind of stuff. And they dropped the jazz from their name and simply became the Crusaders. And Wilton Felder picked up a secondary instrument, aside from the tenor saxophone, was the bass. And he uh, became one of the funkiest bass players. Very, very talented man. But we're going to hear him with the Jazz Crusaders later on in the show and pay a little tribute to Wilton Felder, the late Wilton Felder. But I think the most important passing that we've had in the last little while was one of the greatest exponents of the alto saxophone. One of the last alto saxophonists who was uh, directly came from the stylistic um, whirlwind of Charlie Parker. And Phil Woods passed away at age 83, died from emphysema. And he'd, he'd been, uh, for the last 10 years of his life, he was always appearing on stage with uh, the oxygen tank. But he, it never affected his playing. It may have affected him healthwise, but it certainly didn't affect his playing. You you would never ever know it, amazing. And Phil lasted until age eighty-three, where he he passed away. So we're going to pay a tribute to the great Philip Wells Woods, Philip Phil Woods. Incidentally, a lot of people don't know he was half Irish. His ancestry was half Irish and half French Canadian, and um, he was born in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. And of course, uh, in the early '50s, he went to Juilliard. study He had to study clarinet there. He couldn't study saxophone. They didn't treat that saxophone as a legitimate instrument, much much like most universities at the time. So he, he took his clarinet in there and and got a degree. And uh, then, in the mid '50s, became one of the most uh, promising and amazing young voices of the alto saxophone and in, by about 1955 it was the two new voices of the alto saxophone in New York was Phil Woods and Jackie McLean both with very distinctive styles and both from the colossus of Charlie Parker anyway we'll be doing a tribute to Woods uh later on in the show also Another sad passing, lesser known musician, but one of the finest vibes players ever. His name, Dave Pike. And he just passed away a couple of days ago of the same ailment of, as Phil Woods. He died from emphysema. And Dave was in his 80s as well. And uh, great. So we'll be playing some of his music. So, unfortunately, um, with that passing, it gives us an opportunity to re explore their. Their music, and uh, for those of you that have never heard their music, it'll be a chance to experience it later on in the show. We're also going to hear some music after the jazz feature, immediately after the jazz feature, by a gentleman named Frank Morgan, who I consider one of the finest exponents of the alto saxophone. Frank Morgan, of course, um, was the subject of um, a movie of his life called uh, The Sound of Redemption. And uh, it was playing at the Vancouver International Jazz Festival. And unfortunately, uh, um, due to a scheduling glitch, um, and uh, I wasn't able to uh, see the movie. But I thought that I would uh, present uh, some Frank Morgan on the show just to show how, how great a musician he was. He had an incredible life. Uh, he began as a protege of Charlie Parker, and knew Charlie Parker. Uh, Frank was raised in Los Angeles by by his uh, musical family. And uh, unfortunately for Frank, uh, he got involved with drugs. And there's some musicians and some people that can sort of uh, somehow use drugs and yet still function in their profession. I mean, there are doctors out there that do that, <laughs> and all, the, all kinds of people. But then some people, it becomes uh, so addicting that it, bec- it it totally overwhelms everything. And, and, of course, that's in the majority of cases. And the drug takes over, and uh, especially addictive drugs like heroin and all that kind of stuff. And uh, next thing you know, that's all you live for. And that's what happened to Frank Morgan. That's all he lived for. And, of course, he broke the law, robbed banks, um, stole cars, stole money, did all kinds of things to support a habit. And, of course, he was in and out of jails uh, for most of his adult life. Finally, he got out. He was jailed in about 1955, and he was in all the major prisons, San Quentin, Chino, all those prisons, served time in. And uh, really didn't get out of the whole prison system until 1985. So that's a long time. And when he did, people all of a sudden discovered Frank Morgan because he was merely, for most people, including myself, he he was mostly just a name. Uh, you know, he was a really good player, but uh, you know, he's <laughs> not recording, not playing. Uh, is he alive? Is he dead? Well of course, he was serving time. He never stopped playing, uh, which was very fortunate. And uh, when he came out, he, uh, his playing had uh, improved so much because he had so much uh, uh, time to work on it in all those years in jail. And, of course, his whole complete rehabilitation. Anyway, um, with Frank, I just thought I'd give you a rundown about Frank Morgan. And we'll be playing some of his music right after the jazz feature. But now we're going to get into the jazz feature. And this is an interesting date. It took place in New York City at the Putnam Central Club in Brooklyn, which was a a center for jazz performance. And it was put together by Charles Mingus. But this isn't like a Mingus recording where Mingus plays his own tunes and this is his own thing. No, this is kind of an all-star recording, almost a jam session. Um, Mingus and Max Roach owned a record company called Debut Records, and uh, it was Mingus's idea to bring together four of his favorite modern jazz trombonists. And I've got to tell you something about Mingus. Mingus loved the trombone. That was the first instrument he played when he was a little boy, but his arms were too short to operate the slide, and uh, he got really frustrated with the instrument And uh, his best friend uh, was uh, Britt Woodman, who went on to uh, play with Duke Ellington. And Britt um, was—Mingus in in school was was rather—was overweight. He was bow-legged, and he was very light-skinned, and he was razzed by a lot of the darker kids uh, in school because the school was mostly African-American kids. And they were really dark. Mingus was light, and they they they, they called him names and teased him, and uh, because of his light color, so he uh, that didn't help. They bullied him. Um, he got beaten up a lot of times, uh, and uh, you know, and teased him because of his bow legs, and uh, so he. One of his friends uh, that protected Mingus was Britt Woodman, and they formed a lifelong friendship. And Britt Woodman was at the time studying the trombone. And um, so Mingus wanted to play the trombone just like his friend did. And unfortunately, as I said, his arms were too short to operate the slide, and he got very discouraged with it and decided to take up the cello, which was much more suited to him, and the piano as well, and then, of course, uh, switched over to bass, and the rest is history. So there you go. That's a little uh, brief history of Charles Mingus. Anyway, by this time, Mingus was uh, ensconced in New York, uh, uh, half-owner of this uh, recording company, and uh, was uh, a musical influence. And it was his idea. It was just a a one-day, one-evening get-together. He loved the trombone, and he got these four prominent trombone players to uh, come in and perform. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of preparation. There was there was some um, organized music and so on, but most of the most of the guys simply um, knew what they were doing, and uh, everything just everything worked out. And the whole evening was recorded, and this is this is what we're going to hear. So basically, this is Charles Mingus uh, on bass with the wonderful John Lewis on piano, of course, who had already formed the mob was uh, the musical director of the Modern Jazz Quartet. On drums was one of the fine New York drummers, Arthur Taylor, and the four trombones that Mingus picked, uh, the pioneer of uh, modern trombone, to he was the tr- uh, to the trombone, what Charlie Parker was, to the alto saxophone, I'm talking about J.J. Johnson, but another pioneer of the trombone is the guy that does our theme song, because He is of the same generation, and he never got the credit, really, for being a pioneer. And he has very distinctive sound, and of course, we all love, and I do too, Benny Green. So we're going to hear him. Then we're going to hear a gentleman who was born in Denmark and moved to uh, the United States and became one of the most prominent trombone players on the scene was a veteran of all the hip big bands, Woody Herman's band and so on, and played in a very wonderful style that kind of went back to the earlier days, but was a a very modern player too, and I'm talking about Kay Winding. And the final trombonist, the fourth, was the youngest guy in the band and the least known, but he was a favorite of Mingus because Mingus liked people he hated people that copied other musicians. And young Willie Dennis was studying with uh, the great uh, musical guru and pioneer Lenny Tristano. And Willie was um, attempting and sometimes, and sometimes succeeding in playing some very, very individual-sounding trombone. And uh, he is a very, very distinctive member of this uh, distinguished quartet. And although he's the youngest member, um, he is striving very hard, almost to a fault, uh, to be very original. But uh, he's really interesting to listen to, and I can see why Mingus really liked Willie Dennis. And from what I understand, Willie Dennis was killed in a car crash in 1962, and um uh, my friend John Handy um, actually played with Willie quite a bit in, in various Mingus organizations in the, uh, in the late 50s, and he told me that I would have uh, really liked Willie Dennis. He, he was a, a wonderful personality and, and funny and uh, just a, a great, great player. Anyway, so that's, that's a little sidelight. So here are the four trombonists, J.J. Johnson, Kay Winding, Benny Green and Willie Dennis, all very distinctive players. And we're going to hear them in a whole variety of tunes, including a couple that were very, very hard to find. Now, this record has been issued time and time again, but uh two tunes on here have been, for some reason, left off the uh the the um easily available CDs. And we've got them here. We're going, to, we're going to play these two rarer tunes. They'll be right at the end of the jazz feature. So we begin, of course, with a blues. Gets everybody warmed up, and it's a J.J. Johnson original, and it's called We Dot. And the alternate title that Mingus uh, gave it is Blues for Some Bones. All right, so that's the first one. Then the second tune is a feature for Benny Green. And he takes it and plays Hoagy Carmichael's most famous composition, Stardust. Then the four guys get together again and do a, a very famous modern jazz tune written by Denzel Costa Best. And the tune is called Move. And uh, that's a, a beautiful performance. One of my favorites on the album. And then we get into a long jam on... Uh, a. a Standard tune that every jazz musician has to know, I'll Remember April. Then we get into the two rare items to finish off the feature. Jerome Kern's Yesterdays, played by the Ford Trombotist. And it's one of my favorite tracks on the whole album. Why it was left off of all the reissues, I have no idea. And Final Tune is a composition by Kay Winding, um, the uh, Danish trombone player that I, was, I mentioned. It's called simply Kay's Day, and it ends the whole set on on uh, kind of a happy high note. So that's it. Four trombones, J.J. J. Johnson, Kay Winding, Benny Green, Willie Dennis, John Lewis at the piano, Arthur Taylor on drums, and the man who put it all together, Charles Mingus. And we go back to... September 18th in Brooklyn, New York at the Putnam Central Club and begin with Blues for Some Bones.
0: Ha ha ha! Thank you. Bye. little bit of a 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 little bit of All right.
1: And that's it. Our jazz feature this evening. Uh, it was issued under different titles. Trombone Rapport was one of the titles of uh, uh, one of the original uh, 10-inch records that came out on debut, uh, which was a, ming- um, a label that was owned by Charles Mingus and Max Roach back in the 50s, um, an independent uh, label, and they recorded a lot of good stuff, including this uh, session on that label, uh, or it was called, uh, the more common title for this is simply Four Trombones. And what this was, of course, was uh, all put together by Charles Mingus and performed at the Putnam Central Club in Brooklyn on September 18th, 1953. And uh, we heard, of course, um, some of the most prominent Uh, trombonists in jazz music, Um, four of Charles Mingus's favorites, and we heard the rhythm section first of all, John Lewis on piano, of course at the time who was leading the modern jazz quartet, Uh, Mingus of course on bass, and Arthur Taylor on drums. And the four trombone players, of course the most prominent of the four, was one of the pioneers of modern jazz trombone. Um, All kinds of accolades have been written about him and of course his technical prowess was unbelievable. J.J. Johnson and he took the trombone from an earlier era. Uh, He had so much technique and ability on the instrument that he was able to it was as flexible as a saxophone or a trumpet because trombone can be very unwieldy sometimes. The um, other trombone player that uh, same generation of uh, J.J., but a slightly different background, originally from Chicago, was my favorite, Benny Green. And, of course, I call him the Lester Young of the trombone. Um, my friend Steve Davis, the uh, prominent trombone, modern trombone player today, calls, uh, referred to Benny Green as the Lester Young of the trombone, and uh, I, I agree. And, of course, his smooth kind of liquid style Uh, It was very evident. He was also, uh, all these guys were favorites of Charles Mingus. He loved the trombone. Uh, The third gentleman was uh, a Danish-American, Kay Winding. And Kay Winding was a very modern player, but he was more outgoing and and extrovertish. Uh, kind of reflected a little bit more of the old school, but still had that very modern concept. And he was uh, extremely prominent uh, back in those early days. And uh, the final trombonist was a young man, the youngest of all the three, uh, who was uh, also a favorite of Mingus uh, and a very serious uh, music student. He he was studying with uh, the great um, advanced thinker Lenny Tristano and was absorbing some of his musical theories into his playing and Willie was determined um, to be very original and um, sometimes almost to a fault because he played himself sometimes up into little blind alleys but the thing is Mingus admired Willie Dennis so much and of course uh, Willie was uh, um, in Mingus's regular bands on an off and on basis over the years and um uh, his attitude was, uh, was so good and, and such a great player and a very, very distinctive player as well. So uh, he's a little bit of a hero on here, and he usually soloed last on all the pieces. And uh, really what, it, what this was was a trombone jam session. There wasn't They didn't play uh, um, really anything really involved, which involved a lot of arranging and all this kind of stuff. It was just simply getting together this one night, and, and playing together, and and uh, the results uh, came out on these uh, on these albums that were issued and reissued over the years, and we did feature a couple of very rare tracks that have never made the reissues of the of these albums for some unknown reason. I can't tell you why, but we heard them, and I'll tell you uh, they were the final two tunes we heard. Um, you'll be hard pressed to find those anywhere, so. There you go. You're hearing them on the jazz show. We started out with the blues. Why not? And it was called We Dot, and it was written by J.J. Johnson, also subtitled Blues for Some Bones. And um, uh, I don't think you would have too much trouble identifying everybody once you heard their styles, but the soloist on that first blues, Benny Green, took the longest solo. He was the first because he was the best blues player of the bunch. Kay Winding was second, and of course, Mr. J.J. Johnson was third, and finally, Willie Dennis. Benny Green was featured prominently on the next tune, The Ballad of the set, and it was Hoagy Carmichael's most famous composition, Stardust, featuring Benny Green. And then two number three was um, one of the high points of the set, and that was Denzel Best's up-tempo um, bebop classic called Move, and the solo order on that, of course, was J.J. Johnson. You heard Mingus in the background in, encouraging, Go, Jay, go! And, and then followed by Benny Green, followed by Kay Winding, and Willie Dennis was, again, the cleanup man. And then we heard an extended jam on uh, the Ray DePaul uh, standard tune, of course, that every jazz musician knows, I'll remember April. Then we heard the two rare tracks, and my one of my all-time favorite uh, performances on this whole set was tune number five, and that was Jerome Kern's Yesterdays. And that featured J.J. Uh, J. Johnson, um, Benny Green, Kay Winding, and Willie Dennis in that order. And we heard a solo by not only John Lewis at the piano, uh, but Charles Mingus. We also heard a false start on that too, which is uh, interesting. You were there, right? Uh, the final tune was a happy original, um, by Kay Winding that he brought to the session and everybody just read it cold and, and, uh, and played beautifully on it and everybody soloed on it. The tune was called simply Kay's Day and that's another very rare track as well. So uh, those final two tunes wrapped everything up and we heard uh, an extended jazz feature this evening featuring four trombones. J.J. J. Johnson, Kay Winding, Benny Green, Willie Dennis, John Lewis at the piano, Arthur Taylor on drums, and Charles Mingus, who put it all together and recorded the thing uh, on bass. All right, that was our jazz feature this evening, and we certainly hope that you enjoyed uh, a trip to trombone land and uh, learned to, uh, and hope you appreciated um, the great sounds of uh, of the trombone, because the trombone was around from the... Real origins of jazz music right from the beginning. And, uh, of course, it's still uh, a very, very important instrument. People today, like Steve Davis, are are keeping the tradition alive. My friend Vincent Gardner, who plays with uh, Wynton Marcellus' uh, Lincoln Center Orchestra. um, Virtuoso players, and they know the history of the instrument, and they can play it, every bit of it. All right, the trombone. You are listening, of course, to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory right out here at the University of British Columbia. Of course, we're on the web, www.citr.ca, and my name's Gavin Walker. Frank Morgan is up next. We're going to play some Frank Morgan for you. Now, there was uh, a couple of showings of this movie, and unfortunately... uh, I couldn't see the movie. Uh, it was, uh, it's a biography of Mr. Morgan and uh, the story of his life, and um, there's some clips in it and uh, conversations w- with him. And uh, it was shown at, uh, twice at the uh, Vancouver Film Festival, and unfortunately the scheduling uh, didn't suit my schedule, and I wasn't able to, uh, to see the movie. But I thought I would play you some Frank Morgan because uh he's an artist that I uh really haven't played a lot on the on the show and he deserves to be heard. He's one of the great voices of the alto saxophone. I say this without without exaggeration. Uh the thing about Frank Morgan was that he was a protege of Charlie Parker and um Frank Morgan unfortunately fell into the same habits as Charlie Parker. Uh, I guess he felt as a young man that uh, well, you know Charlie Parker used drugs, so can I. And unfortunately, Frank Morgan became um, more than just an addict he was he was, It totally overtook his personality and and everything about it, and of course he he spent most of his adult life behind bars and uh he He did make some brief outings, but he was back in again and, uh, within a week. Um he you know, he would be rehabbed and and go out and just go right back and uh, it was one of those un- unfortunate things and it wasn't until uh, he got I think his first bust was about nineteen fifty five and uh, when he was a very young man, and he had already recorded at that time and uh, had made an impression on the jazz scene and then all of a sudden he he disappeared came out again for a few weeks and then got busted again. And, of course, the pattern continued and continued until 1985, and he was finally rehabbed and uh, came out and never looked back after that. He was redeemed, really, uh, all those years uh, in jail. But he did have a lot of great playing experiences because, well, unfortunately, a lot of musicians got hooked on drugs and they got jailed for... uh, you know, uh, criminal activities, stealing, and all that kind of stuff, that to support the habit. But if if usually if the jails knew that they were talented uh, musicians, uh, they don't want them fighting and, and rioting and so on. So they would. Uh, a lot of the jails were they weren't exactly benevolent institutions, but they allowed uh, musicians and and artists to to sort of function on a limited basis within the jail cells. So um, Frank benefited from that, of course, and when he came back out, when he was finally reformed and and released for good, um, he was playing at a very, very high level. My friend John Handy turned me on to Frank Morgan. uh, We used to have long discussions about different saxophone players, and I have my opinions. John has his his opinions. And... um, we were talking about uh one of my heroes is Jackie McLean, and, and John of course kn- uh, knew Jackie very well and and um but he, he didn't particularly like Jackie's playing and of course I love Jackie's playing, so we would argue about that and then John uh very often Handy would turn to me and he says, You know, he said, You should you should get hip to Frank Morgan. Frank Morgan impressed me more than any other young saxophone player and it's really too bad that he's, you know, Stuck away in jail because this man has influenced me on the instrument, and he is so good. And um, I, I, so I got from John to to go check out Frank Morgan. At the time, there were only these some early recordings, and uh, I realized what John was saying. So what we're going to do right now is is hear a couple of tracks from Frank Morgan in his early days, and. Um, This is uh, with a a session. We're going to open with a ballad because Frank is a very beautiful ballad player. And he's backed up here by uh, Carl Perkins on piano, Howard Roberts on guitar, uh, Leroy Vinegar on bass, and uh, Lawrence Marable on drums. And these were all uh, Los Angeles-based musicians. He's backed up by... uh, Um, These gentlemen on the first tune, and then there's a couple more horns added on the uh, next two tunes that um, uh, Jack Sheldon on trumpet and James Clay, the legendary James Clay on tenor saxophone, and um, actually there's a switch in personnel. Bobby Timmons comes in at the piano. He was living on the west coast at the time. Jimmy Bond on bass and Lawrence Marrable on drums. But the first tune had the personnel that I mentioned. We're going to hear the ballad first. Then we're going to hear two uh, tunes with the with the larger group, and um, all recorded in uh, 1956. So we we're going to open with the ballad, and it's My Old Flame. Great tune written by Sam Coslow. Then we're going to hear uh, a tune called the Crescendo Blues because the band was doing a little gig at a club called the Crescendo in Los Angeles. Uh, this is with, with the bigger group with the different personnel, and the final tune is going to be an original by Frank Morgan called "Huh," and uh, that's it. So we'll hear the first three tunes, all early Frank Morgan. So check him out. And here he is. We're paying a small tribute to uh, alto saxophone master Frank Morgan, uh, who was uh, eulogized in a a recent movie at the uh, Vancouver Film Festival called The Sound of Redemption. And, of course, uh, Frank Morgan in his early years was, uh, of course, a prodigy and uh, an amazing musician. Uh, Something that I didn't know was that he was slated in 1953 to be the saxophone player in the famous uh, Max Roach Clifford Brown group, which was formed in Los Angeles, but because of uh, some uh, uh, unfortunate criminal activity on young Frank's part, um, it prevented him. Uh, well, <laughs> he wasn't able to join, and um, uh, other people took uh, uh, took his uh, his place in the band. Of course, Harold Land became the permanent member in that band and eventually Sonny Rollins. But uh that showed how amazing Frank Morgan was when he was still a, a teenager. Unfortunately uh his uh habit, which uh caused him uh years and years and years of uh incarceration, um prevented uh a lot of that stuff from happening. It's quite amazing, and you can uh, you can check his whole story on um, uh, the computer program Wikipedia. Uh, it's kind of an interesting; gives you an overview of uh, Frank's background and all that kind of stuff. We're going to move now. Oh, by the way, these recordings were done uh, in his early days. The first um, piece of music featured a rhythm section of Howard Roberts on guitar. Uh, Carl Perkins on piano, Leroy Vinegar on bass, and Lawrence Marable on drums. And we heard the ballad to open the set, uh, My Old Flame, with Frank as the uh, sole horn. Then from a slightly later and different uh, session, uh, featuring uh, Jack Sheldon on trumpet, James Clay on tenor saxophone, Bobby Timmons at the piano, uh, Jimmy Bond on bass, and again Lawrence Marable on drums, all recorded in Los Angeles a few months later. We heard Crescendo Blues, written by Jack Sheldon, and it appeared under a different title on uh, on a different album uh, led by bassist Curtis Counts, but that's what it was called here, Crescendo Blues. And the second tune actually was written by Bobby Timmons, and the tune was called Huh? And uh, that's it. So we heard these two tunes by the uh, larger group, Oh, yes, uh, with Jack Sheldon on trumpet, James Clay on tenor saxophone. I forgot, um, (laughs) I thought I forgot to mention Jack Sheldon's name. Very important trumpet player, still alive, of course, great player. And um, the rhythm section that I mentioned. All right, we're going to move now, and all of this stuff was recorded in his early days. We're going to move now to, after years and years and years of incarceration, Frank was finally released. Clean, drug free, except for daily methadone treatments to maintain his uh, and keep his anxiety down. Um, but he did that for the rest of his life. Uh, Frank incidentally passed away in 2007, and he died of colorectal cancer. Sad to say, um, he was 73. So there you go. But what a hard life, most of most of it uh, behind bars and prisons. Anyway. This album is from his later period, and um, rehabilitated, and he sounds great. He's playing here with one and only McCoy Tyner at the piano, Avery Sharp on bass, and Lewis Hayes on drums. And we're going to hear uh, three tunes from this session um, called Major Changes. Uh, The first tune is called simply Frank's Back, All of this was recorded in 1987 in New York, early 1987. And we're going to follow that with a beautiful tune uh, called Emily, which, uh, of course, uh, a lot of musicians recorded, um, written by Johnny Mandel. Great tune. And uh, we're going to conclude with um, a Miles Davis original, So What? Everybody knows that tune. So those three tunes we're going to hear are further tribute to the great, wonderful, and rehabilitated Frank Morgan. Thank you. We've been paying a tribute to uh, a gentleman by the name of Frank Morgan, one of the finest voices on the alto saxophone. And uh, I mentioned his uh, career and his life um, a number of times. This is from the latter part of his career, when he uh, made his comeback. And this is with the uh, McCoy-Tyner trio. And uh, what a strong rhythm section. Of course, Mr. McCoy Tyner at the piano, Avery Sharp on bass, and the great Louis Hayes on drums. And we heard three tunes from this album called Major Changes. The opening was blues by Frank entitled simply Frank's Back. And then we heard a, a beautiful rendition of uh, a tune written by Johnny Mandel and Johnny Mercer called Emily. Actually, McCoy Tyner wrote uh, the blues, Frank's Back. Okay, and uh, Emily, as I mentioned, Johnny Mandel and Johnny Mercer. And the final tune was Miles Davis's famous, So What? And uh, Frank got out there on that one. All recorded in New York City in April of 1987. Frank lived another 20 years and died of uh, colorectal cancer at age 73, In two thousand and seven, and we lost a great voice of the alto saxophone. Quite a life he had, and uh, as I mentioned before, one of the reasons I decided to play his music. We haven't played much Frank Morgan on the show. I thought I'd give him give you a little taste of uh, Mr. Morgan because uh, the Vancouver Film Festival uh, featured um, a couple of times his biographical movie called The Sound of Redemption, and. it kind of reminded me, unfortunately, I wasn't able to see it, I wish, but uh, scheduling prevented me from doing that. But uh, just the same, it's always nice to hear somebody who is that great and um, not heard that often on this particular show. So we'll hear more of Frank Morgan in the future. We've got a lot more to go in the show. I'd just like to um, tell you about uh, CITR on unceded Musqueam territory out here at UBC, 101.9 FM or on your computer, www.citr.ca. This is The Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker. And coming right up is uh, an important message that we're all concerned about, right? I think... the old weather again, and uh, it's changing, of course. We've had some great days, uh, late fall days, or or I should say early fall days. Uh, Fall just started, really, Um, but uh, things are going to change a little bit, and you could kind of see the change in the sky today, and tonight is partly cloudy with a low of 10. Tomorrow will be cloudy most of the day with a 30% chance of a shower late in the day with a low of 10 and a high of 19. Then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday is cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower each day. Temperatures hovering between 13 and 18 all of those days. So that's uh, starting Wednesday, cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower right through until the uh, long weekend, Thanksgiving weekend. That's the prognosis. Of course, uh, we'd like to remind you to uh, get onto a couple of great websites, and that's uh, one of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. There's a lot of interesting stuff on there. Things are happening here in Vancouver. There's going to be a new jazz club, yes, on Beattie Street called Frankie's. It's a very fine Italian restaurant. And the Coastal Jazz and Blue Society, in conjunction with programmer Corey Weeds, who, of course, was the former owner of The Cellar and a prominent saxophonist, musician, and jazz personality, he is going to be doing the programming in Frankie's. And you can get onto the Coastal Jazz website and check out what's happening, who's coming, who's um, coming prices, all that kind of stuff. And it's on Beattie Street, right beside the Georgian Court Hotel, Frankie's Italian restaurant. And I know for a a fact, uh, several people have told me that the food there is very, very good. Um, Jim Burns uh, mentioned that to me, that uh, he uh, has often eaten there. And uh, really enjoys the food. So there you go. That's uh, credibility right there. So get on the Coastal Jazz and Blues website. That's coastaljazz.ca and check out all the happenings. They've also got some concerts coming up as well. So it's a very comprehensive website, a good one to get on to. All right. And the other website, of course, is uh, um, administered by my old friend Brian Nation who is uh, slowly recovering from a, a major health crisis, but he's, uh, he's getting up there. He's active again, but the, the website is still uh, going, and uh, Brian will be back to his old tricks after a while. Um, but it, the good news is that he is getting better, and he is the administrator of VancouverJazz.com. That's VancouverJazz.com. That's a very comprehensive website as well. And just one more thing, my my good friend, I always mention Ken Speller. Ken is a music teacher, and uh, he runs a business called Music at Home, and he um, actually comes to your house and and gives you lessons. And um, he's got a whole slew of students, and if you uh, want a good teacher, he's one of them. He's a, a wonderful saxophonist, clarinetist, flute player, knows his music. But he also repairs instruments, and saxophones, flutes, and clarinets always require repairs, tweaks, sometimes complete overhauls. Things bust. Uh, there are a lot of moving parts on those instruments, and if you play them a lot, they, they sometimes get <laughs> act up, and the instrument doesn't play as well as you want it to play. And, of course, most musicians will blame themselves and say, oh, it's my fault, I haven't practiced enough. Sometimes it's the instrument that's just not working right, and uh, it can be terribly frustrating. So the thing to do is keep the instrument in the best possible shape, and one of the ways to to do it is to see Ken Speller. He's located 13th and Lonsdale area of North Vancouver. He has his own repair shop. He does all his repairs in his home, so his overhead is, is much lower than you would find at a lot of music stores, so he keeps his prices reasonable. And uh, he's a good man to deal with and very fastidious worker. So he can be reached at 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933, or Kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. There you go. There's a way to get hold of him. Gentleman who just passed away. Regrettably, is someone who should be better known, although the although jazz aficionados know this man. He recorded quite a bit over the years, and he was one of the finest voices of the vibraphone. His name Dave Pike, an amazing musician. We're going to hear him with an all-star New York rhythm section uh, for a couple of tunes. And uh, Dave is a master of, of the vibes, This is from an album called It's Time for Dave Pike. And he just passed away. He died uh, of emphysema, sad to say. And uh, he was known really, um, uh, as I said, uh, devoted jazz fans really know about this guy. And anybody who likes the vibes, Dave Pike is considered a a major voice of the vibes. And uh, when you hear him on this recording, you'll understand why. Here he is with Barry Harris on piano, Reggie Workman on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. We're going to hear a couple of tunes. Uh, we're going to open with a Charlie Parker original called Cheryl, and, uh, and then we'll carry on from there, and I'll tell you what, uh, what we played after we finished. Here's our small tribute to the late, great Dave Pike. <laughs> Small tribute to a great gentleman who passed away, should be better known, his name Dave Pike. He recorded uh, prolifically over the years and uh, lived quite a good long life. He was born uh, March 23rd, 1938 in Detroit, Michigan, and um, passed away a few days ago. Uh, He was living in Northern California, passed away of uh, emphysema, sad to say. And he had been active for the last little while because of his uh, his the severity of his illness. But um, recorded, as I said, with Herbie Mann and Bill Evans, all kinds of people. This is actually from his first album under his own name. And it came out on the Riverside label and it's called It's Time for Dave Pike. And uh, it's certainly a good showcase for his uh, talents and individual voice of the Vibes, and of course, he, um, as I said, he he did a lot of Latin music and uh, jazz rock music and uh, all kinds of stuff in his long career, and um, he really should be better known, but uh, this is a small tribute to him from this album. We heard uh, actually four tunes. We opened with Charlie Parker. Oh, and Dave was accompanied here by uh, a Cadillac of New York rhythm section, Barry Harris on piano, Uh, Reginald Workman on bass, and the great Billy Higgins on drums. And we heard uh, four tunes, as I said, beginning with Charlie Parker's Cheryl. We moved on to the standard Green Dolphin Street, and then a a tune attributed to Miles Davis, written by actually Chuck Wayne, the guitarist, and uh, kind of uh, taken over by Miles because he recorded a definitive version of the tune. But the tune was called Solar. And uh, the final tune was the great Tad Dameron original, Hothouse. So a little portrait of, uh, of Dave Pike and a small tribute to him. One of the most important voices of the alto saxophone. Passed away at age 83, once again. Died from emphysema. He was born in 1931, in November of 1931 in Springfield, Massachusetts. And, of course, uh, Phil Woods was uh, not only one of the greatest exponents of the alto saxophone, um, he was a stylistic um, child of Charlie Parker. That's how he based his style. But like uh, most great musicians, he took that style and developed his own from that unmistakable sound and control of the instrument. Uh, His technique was impeccable. And, um, of course, he was just one of the great players. Played with everybody. Everybody. And, of course, recorded tons of albums under his own name Um, throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, etc., and was playing right up to the very end. And for the last eight or nine years of his life, he appeared on stage with um, an oxygen tank because uh, of his emphysema, shortness of breath, but you would never know it from his playing. It was always top-notch, and his sound was absolutely uh, ridiculous. One very famous solo he made was on the uh, Billy Joel record, which was a huge hit, just the way you are. And the saxophone solo on that, um, he had to live with uh, young young people coming up and say, gee, Mr. Woods, I love that solo. Have you done anything else? Um, and of course, because the person was young and didn't know any better, he, he had to restrain himself from getting angry because uh, Phil Woods could be short-tempered sometimes. And and um, he he didn't suffer fools wise, wisely because he'd been through everything in the music business. Anyway, Phil Woods and uh, one of the great legends. We're going to pay a tribute to Phil right now. Play some music by him. This is from um, an album that I really discovered. Phil. Uh, I had come to appreciate him, uh, appreciate him, appreciate him as a young man, but. Um, it wasn't until this album came along that I realized, holy smoke, this man is not just a good musician, he is a great musician. This is from an album that came out on Prestige. It was recorded early in his career, November 1955, and the album was called Woodlore. And the only drag about this album is that it's only, you know, 33 minutes long, but uh, uh, some incredible music. We open with this inc- uh, version of uh, Get Happy which is uh, a great standard tune and Phil takes it in a minor key and this is uh, I think the highlight of the album because uh, he just um, he, he burns up the saxophone on this tune and is written by Harold Arland and Ted Kohler and then we'll follow that with uh, a blues written by Phil Woods called Simply Strolling with Pam. The great rhythm section here is Johnny Williams on piano not the uh, film composer. This is uh, Johnny Williams from Vermont. Great piano player, formerly with Stan Getz, Teddy Kotick on bass, and Nick Stabulus on drums. And uh, here's Phil Wood's Get Happy. Well, I'll get the right track here. Here we go.
0: All right. All right.
1: Two tracks from a recording done in November in 1955. I guess we could say that's early Phil Woods. And uh, just a great date. It's called Woodlore. It came out on Prestige Records. We heard two tracks from that. And that's when I discovered that Phil Woods was more than just a a good player. He was a great player and potential unlimited. We heard... uh, Phil with uh, John Williams at the piano, um, Teddy Kotick on bass, and Nick Stabulus on drums, and Mr. Woods, of course, on alto saxophone. We heard a minor key version of Harold Arlen's Get Happy and a Phil Woods original dedicated to his niece, and it's called Strollin' with Pam. And uh, Mr. Woods... Um, just playing so great on this album. This is an essential Phil Woods album, as far as I'm concerned, Woodlore. And it can be found, as I said, on the OJC label. Of course, you can find it on the internet as well. Phil Woods left the United States in 1968 for several years. Um, He took his family over to Europe. He was... uh, in. Like a lot of people in the in the late 60s, he was very very discouraged with America, the, Viet- the Vietnam War, all the assassinations that had taken place, and when Martin Luther King was assassinated, that was that's really where Phil Woods pulled the plug, and uh, decided to move to Europe. Lock stock, and alto saxophone, and. He formed this incredible band over there. Of course, it didn't take long for Phil to be uh, discovered. And uh, uh, he was able to form a band called the European Rhythm Machine. Some of his very best playing, as far as I'm concerned, is done with this band. And it included uh, the original pianist Gordon Beck um, from England on electric and acoustic piano. And um, Henri Texier on bass. He's a Swiss, Franco-Swiss gentleman, and the great Daniel Humer on drums, one of the finest drummers in all of Europe. And this was recorded in, in 1970 at the Frankfurt Jazz Festival. And I think you'll be very amazed by this version of Eddie Harris's "Freedom Jazz Dance." It's quite unbelievable. And as Phil performed um, in this concert, he segued all the tunes together. There's there's absolutely no break. So we'll just fade after the uh, Freedom Jazz Dance because I'd like to get to uh, playing uh, a tribute to uh, Wilton Felder as well, the late Wil- Wilton Felder. But uh, we are Featuring Mr. Phil Woods right now. And this is an amazing performance. Here we go. Eddie Harris's Freedom Jazz Dance with Phil Woods and the European Rhythm Machine. That was an excerpt from a concert by the great Phil Woods. Believe it or not, that was the opening tune of the set. So that just shows what <laughs> the level that they operated on. That was Phil Woods and his European Rhythm Machine, recorded at the Frankfurt Jazz Festival in March of 1970. And, of course, we heard this incredible version of Eddie Harris's Freedom Jazz Dance and played with um, Absolute Abandon by Mr. Woods on alto saxophone, Gordon Beck on acoustic piano, Henri Texier on bass, and Daniel Humer on drums, Freedom Jazz Dance. That's a great album by uh, Phil Woods. And, of course, one of his finest ensembles. We're going to do one more by Mr. Woods, and this is with his little big band that he put together, um, and did a whole series of albums. And we're going to play a tune actually uh, written by the pianist Hal Galper and arranged by Phil Woods. And um, it's a great tune. It's called Loose Change. And that's that's the name of the tune. And The people involved uh, with the little big band, Phil Woods, of course, on alto saxophone. Um, Tom Harrell is on trumpet, Hal Crook on trombone, um, Nick Brignola on baritone saxophone, and Nelson Hill on alto and tenor saxophone as well. He solos on tenor. Jim McNeely on piano, Steve Gilmore on bass, and Bill Goodwin on drums and our final tribute to um, Phil Woods. And here's this uh, arrangement by Phil uh, composed by Hal Galper. It's called Loose Change. And so ends our tribute to Phil Woods uh, for this evening. That was a group that he had together. Uh, they recorded quite a bit, and it was the Little Big Band, a whole series of albums. And it featured, uh, well, that's what it was, a Little Big Band. And uh, it featured um, Tom Harrell on trumpet, uh, Hal Crook on trombone, Nick Brignola, on, one of the great voices of the baritone saxophone, Nelson Hill on tenor saxophone, and, of course, Mr. Woods, Phil Woods on alto saxophone, and Jim McNeely on piano, Steve Gilmore on bass, and Bill Goodwin on drums. And that was uh, an arrangement by Phil Woods of a composition by pianist Hal Galper, who did a lot of playing with Mr. Woods at one time, and that tune was called Loose Change, our small tribute to this uh, great Great voice of the alto saxophone and one of the mainstays of modern jazz for so many years. Passed away, died of emphysema in just a couple or about a week ago. Mr. Phil Woods, he was 83 years old. Our final tribute this evening uh, we're going to play a couple of tunes from their second album, which has always been a favorite album of mine and one kind of hard to find. The album is called Looking Ahead. And it came out on Pacific Jazz Records, and it's the Jazz Crusaders. The person that passed away, of course, was the great tenor saxophonist Wilton Felder. He had a a unique approach to the tenor saxophone, very, very identifiable. Of course, he went on to um, be a fine electric bassist as well in, in later years with the band uh the updated version of the Jazz Crusaders when they dropped the jazz and it simply became the Crusaders. They were very, very popular at the time. Uh, kind of, uh, they went into a more fusion thing. But this is when they were the Jazz Crusaders, the Golden Age. All these guys grew up together, and I'm talking about the surviving member, of course, is uh, the drummer, uh, Nesbert Hooper, Styx Hooper. Um, on piano, of course, Joe Sample, who did the bulk of the arrangements. Uh, for this band, Joe was, of course, incredibly talented, as we all know, and Wayne Henderson on trombone. And now Wilton Felder is gone. So the four of them all grew up in Texas together, and they started playing music when they were just little kids. And uh, this band featured um, the fine Philadelphia bassist Jimmy Bond. So all all the Jazz Crusaders are in place on this date. It took place in Los Angeles in January of 1962. We're going to hear a a Wilton Felder composition called A Big Hunk of Funk, and we're going to follow that with um, his version of the great Leonard Bernstein Stephen Sondheim tune from West Side Story, features Wilton on tenor, Tonight. And then the final tune that we're going to hear, and it shall end the evening, uh, is a tune my favorite track from the whole album, and, and you'll, you'll know why it's called this way when you hear it, and it was written by Joe Sample, the pianist, and it's called The Tortoise and the Hare. This is from uh, the Jazz Crusaders, Looking Ahead, and this is our small tribute to the late, great Wilton Felder, who passed away just recently at age 75. So here we go, A Big Hunk of Funk. And so ends uh, the jazz show and our tribute to the late, great tenor saxophonist Wilton Felder, the most recent departure from the jazz crusaders. And of course, now they're all gone, uh, sad to say, except for the drummer, who actually started the band um, as a band back when they were all kids uh, back in Texas. And uh, Nesbert Sticks Hooper is still alive, but the uh, rest of the guys have passed on. Wilton Felder on tenor saxophone, Wayne Henderson on trombone, and the guy that did the genius of the band, who did all the arranging and, and uh, keeping things together, Joe Sample on piano, uh, who wrote that last tune. And on this date, uh, Jimmy Bond was the bassist, and of course, as I mentioned, Sticks Hooper on drums. Uh, all of this was recorded in L.A. in 1962, January of 1962, for Pacific Jazz Records. It's, it's a hard one to find. It's their ac- actually their second album uh, of, under the name Jazz Crusaders, and the album is called Looking Ahead. So we heard a Wilton Felder composition to begin with called Big Hunk of Funk, and then we moved to Leonard Bernstein's um, famous tune from West Side Story, Tonight. And the final tune was a Joe Sample composition called The Tortoise and the Hare. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed that and enjoyed the jazz show this evening. We'll be back uh, next week, actually with a tribute to two of the movers and shakers in jazz. And we're going to play a recording that they are both involved with. And the two people I'm talking about are both great musicians born under the sign of Libra, Thelonious Monk, and Art Blakey. And we're going to hear uh, a very famous recording by Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers with Thelonious Monk on piano. So those of you that are familiar with the Jazz Messengers kind of know what they sound like, but this is a very different record because Monk joined the band on piano, and they played a lot of Monk's music. And, of course, he his personality changed the whole character of the Jazz Messengers. So it's very interesting because Art Blakey and Thelonious Monk were best of friends. And um, so this is a great album. came out on Atlantic Records, and that's going to be our jazz feature next week. Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers with Thelonious Monk. All right, thanks very much for being out there, and uh, we'll see you in seven days' time. Take care of yourselves, and uh, keep on trucking, and keep on keeping on. All right, on behalf of myself, Gavin Walker, The Jazz Show and radio station CITR-FM 101.9, from out here at the University of British Columbia and on unceded Musqueam Territory, And, of course, we're on the computer, CITR.ca. Take care and good night.